Hello, hello. I'm social scientist, Julie Croner. I've spent my life interviewing thousands of people, and now I'm on a mission to scale global empathy. On InKind, I lead guests through the letting go of something they've held inside for years, sometimes decades. They say the emotional release has profound, long-lasting healing effects, and listeners gain the courage to go start their own brave conversations. I know firsthand the power of release. Quite frankly, it's changed my life, and the hope is that it changes yours. I didn't even use a picture of me for the podcast. I hired an artist to draw a picture of me. So it was like an audio-only podcast. I re-recorded myself, and I had a drawing of me as the artwork. So like, I was very uncomfortable when I first started the podcast. Today, Jeremy is here to take us through many years of moving from what he calls an introverted communicator to someone who regularly amplifies his voice as a podcaster, speaker, and entrepreneur. This conversation absolutely floored me. I don't think I've met many people who lean into discomfort quite like Jeremy does. And he shows us how everyone can do the same. Enjoy. Hi, Jeremy. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Julie. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So why don't you tell us uh, where you are calling from and what it is you'd like to release or talk about today? Sure. Uh, So I'm calling from Atlanta, Georgia, and I grew up in Florida. So I moved north to get to the south. (laughs) And uh, I guess we'll just talk a little bit about uh, becoming more vulnerable and authentic. Yeah. In your life, in what way? Yeah, just in general. Prior to about a year and a half ago, I pretty much very rarely called friends. I mostly texted. I really only interact with people one-on-one or in small groups. And then uh, I intentionally tried to self-develop myself to go bigger with sharing, go bigger with authenticity and vulnerability. So, uh, you know, I kept pushing myself to grow in that direction. So I guess we can talk a little bit about that. Oh, definitely. And I just want to say thank you because I already know that so many people, particularly men, I do try on the show to have good representation. Maybe even I'm weighing at this point, maybe even a little bit more toward men as far as guests, because I do think that while I definitely see there's tons of work being done, you know, in changing definitions of masculinity and things like that, I think there's still a pretty long path ahead. And so I'm trying to make sure that, you know, this is a show about release and it's a show about being really vulnerable and it's a show about self-talk. And so I just think it's important that men have, right from the get-go, have equal or even a little bit higher representation to be doing this as like normal, right? Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. So why say something now? Why do you feel like this platform might be beneficial for you or what do you hope to achieve? Yeah. So it's not that I didn't necessarily want to say anything, but it also didn't really realize that it mattered or that I should care that it matters. I guess that's where I started from. To tell you sort of where I came from, when I met my wife and at the time girlfriend is about eight years ago now, Uh, she gave me a check to join Toastmasters as her first gift to me. If that tells you a little bit of where (laughs) I'm coming from. (laughs) Yeah. Did you do it? Uh, Yeah, but I kept the check for four years before cashing it to actually (sighs) join Toastmasters. So, you know, at the same time, you know, four years later, 
I cashed the check to join Toastmasters, and at the same time, I joined two mastermind groups. And the sort of the combination of the two really helped me, you know, discover this. That you know, there's basically like you know, I have hidden wisdom inside me. Like I'm able to help people very quickly take leaps and mindsets and certain things. And it's a very small gift that I have to give to do that in certain circumstances. And I, I strongly think that everybody has that for something. And so I sort of call that hidden knowledge and hidden wisdom. So I think that if more people out there were willing to share their hidden wisdom and hidden knowledge, then, you know, it sort of raised the collective consciousness of the human race, essentially, because everybody would be sharing things that can help other people significantly. And then just that constant giving of this hidden knowledge would sort of speed things up. So that's sort of the direction in, of where I'm headed with, uh, you know, the stuff that I'm doing. Amazing. Okay. So I have a lot of questions around that. This is such good groundwork. Okay. So I like to get timelines down just to give listeners an idea of your journey, like, you know, how long you've been working on this kind of thing, I think is important too. So you met your wife or your then girlfriend eight years ago, right? Yeah. And then, well, I I have to stop on this question too, just because now I'm curious, how do you think she knew right away that Toastmasters was something for you? Uh, She's a very self-development sort of focused person. And she's also sort of like someone who puts her voice out there a lot. So she actually does a lot of keynote speaking. She's authored books. She's done a couple of TEDx talks. Like, you know, a lot of this stuff sort of happened while we were together. Like she started her speaking career and now she's an entrepreneur and consultant and stuff. But uh, like this has all been sort of organic for her. Like her her like second talk ever was a TEDx talk. Like she, she's just comfortable going on stage and talking. So she's like the opposite of me from that regard. So she could tell she knew what Toastmaster was and she could tell that, you know, I could benefit from it. Mm, so you had someone on the opposite end of the social spectrum. <laughs> yeah, you could say that. <laughs> okay, that's cool. All right. So that was eight years ago. It took you four years to join. And can you describe how it was for you to show up there, like on day one? So I'm a pretty introverted communicator. I'm sort of, I would say I'm extroverted energy-wise. Like I can be around people and not lose energy, but I'm definitely an introverted communicator. So people can easily just overpower me in conversations in general, or, you know, or I just don't say anything or don't speak up if there's no opportunities to. So, you know, combine that with like, I was very nervous, like just going there to like, hey, here's a guest. Like, can you stand up and introduce yourself? Because all Toastmasters do that. And like, even that, like, you know, I'm having anxiety, starting to like sweat a little bit just to say my name, mm. you know, in front of a, a group. So, you know, I'm, I'm not used to speaking in front of large groups, especially at that time. And prior to that, like, it's not the intensity of it. Like I had a, a job where I had to propose things to the board of directors of a company and it's very you know, high pressure kind of situation. I'm 100% comfortable speaking to small groups of like four or five. But once it starts passing that, that's when it started getting out of hand for me. What What is it about going from a small group to a big one? What happens? I know you described something, some things that happen in your body, which that's really important, of course, to be aware of that. But what do you think is the trigger about the bigger group? I've put some thought into this before, and I think one thing is like I, I might feel like I could be wasting people's time, and when you have that many people there, like is what you have to say something of significance? How's your delivery going to be? And then like, is it worthwhile 
And I think that's one big thing. Yeah. Would you be, this might be a little uncomfortable, but if you think back to some of the first bigger groups now, would you consider Toastmaster groups bigger? Uh, yeah. I mean, for me, any, at that time, anything over five started getting <laughs> bigger. So my group was maybe 25 people, something like that. Okay. Okay. So maybe you can explain a little bit because not everybody knows what Toastmasters is and how it, how it works. Can you just summarize that? Yeah. Uh, so it's basically just, um, it's a nonprofit. They've got chapters everywhere. I'm sure there's one that's like next door or down the street from where you're at right now. <laughs> and they meet all over the place all the time. And it's all focused on helping you overcome barriers to public speaking and to become a better public speaker. It's not meant to make you like a professional speaker who gets paid to speak, but it is supposed to help you just get comfortable speaking and getting better with communicating to larger audiences. And the way that the meeting goes is, you know, they start out and they just ask a new guest to introduce themselves for being there. They try to give everybody opportunities to speak. And then uh, they assign people roles. So I think there's like, 10 or so roles, like someone's running the meeting, someone is running certain parts of the meeting, someone's keeping time with everything, someone's watching the grammar, someone's counting all the uhs and ahs and ums, the filler words that everyone's saying Oh my gosh! throughout the meeting. And then, you know, everyone has to give a report at the end who's tracking those things. And then they've got, uh, they do uh, something called table topics where they'll call on a random person and ask them to say something whatever that they choose that they're asking the person to say, that then that person has to go up and speak for at least one to two minutes on that topic. So it's like called completely cold on the spot and go up and talk about what they're asking you to. And then they have like a series of uh, people who have prepared speeches for the day. And then there's people who are assigned to be evaluators for those speeches. Uh, so you get the opportunity to be an evaluator and give feedback, uh, but that's also a speech in itself as well. So everybody's sort of getting opportunities to talk. And do you, as members, do you rotate through all those different roles? Yeah, those the roles change every week. Oh, that's cool. And it's a weekly thing? Uh, yeah, different chapters are different ways, but uh, most of them, I think, are once a week. How long were you part of it? I'm still part of it now uh, when, I, when I can go. So uh, I would say... What's that, like three and a half-ish years now? Wow. Okay. So it really stuck. Yeah. Yeah. I've kept going. Yeah. Okay. So um, if we can talk uh, again um, about that first time, so you go up and you say your name, and then what about the first time that you had to do an actual speech to your 25 and change group? How did that feel? Yeah. So they try to make it easy. You know, everyone's really encouraging. So your first speech is just a two-minute tell them anything you want about yourself kind of thing. So, uh, you know, the, the content is like trying to be easy on you and stuff. But, you know, I was still very nervous. Like I've got, I even have recordings. I try to record myself on every once in a while giving speeches so I could like look back at them and see how I've grown, which I haven't looked back at them yet, but I do know I have them. And I've taken screenshots of them and I've posted those to social media just to like help people you know, share like my journey. But yeah, I was definitely nervous uh, for my first several speeches, for sure. So what happens when you're looking out into the faces? I'm going back to your concern, one of your concerns about, am I wasting people's time? I mean, when you're at Toastmasters, they're there for that anyway. So did you, did it allow you to lose that concern? Yeah, I think I lost that concern. I'm, I'm maybe not right away, but yeah, 
Yeah, I don't I don't know all the reasons, but there's definitely other reasons. Like having all these eyes looking at you, like I feel like I'm more prone to losing track or like, you know, freezing up. So my earlier speeches I had, you know, the speeches written on cards that I could pull out if I needed to. And sometimes I did. Then I transitioned to having bullet points. You know, I could look down and maybe see the bullet points. And then now I can just be like, okay, let me think of three things, like three points I want to say and try to like just, you know, say what you're going to say, tell them and then tell them what you told them is sort of the format that they suggest. And so that's sort of the format that I've been learning with them. So uh, before Toastmasters and, you know, when you said that, uh, you wanted to work on this. Was there some sort of impetus to saying, I don't want to, we'll put it in the positive. Was there impetus to say, I want to improve? And how, how did you talk to yourself at that time? Like you wanted to improve on what and and why? Why was it important to you to change it? So I think the thing that made me like really realize I need, I need help with it is I went to uh, something called a startup weekend. It's for entrepreneurs and they go for a weekend, you get put in teams, you just make these fake businesses and then you can pitch them to these investors and you know, get your feedback on what you put together for the weekend. And like at the last day, like I just raised my hand. I was like, you know, like at this time, like I'm an entrepreneur, I've started, built and sold a business. Like I have been through the process. I'm very comfortable as an entrepreneur. But just literally raising my hand and asking a question with all these people around, like I started sweating, getting very uncomfortable and stuff. So that was like probably my wake up call that it's like, okay, you know, I know I'm not comfortable public speaking, but like I should at least be comfortable in front of people that I feel like are my peers or people that might even look up to me, uh, mm-hmm. depending on the person. So that was sort of the wake up call. And then it just took a little bit of time to start. And then it's the combination of joining Toastmasters and mastermind groups that helped going to those helped reiterate the importance of it. Uh, so it was just getting started was the main thing. Yeah. So what kind of impact does, does it have if we can hold off on sort of like where you are today, because you've been working on this. First of all, I want to reiterate for everybody listening that you've been working on this for close to a decade. Is that right? Would you call it that? Uh, yeah, it's probably slowly. Uh, I'd say once I got that check it became a little bit more real but still didn't really act on it so uh you know you could say a decade but i haven't really been pushing myself for that whole decade but yeah yeah okay well for four years for sure that's been you know active work on it toastmasters is four years ago uh eight years ago when (laughs) your wife mentioned this and what about what was the timing of that entrepreneurial weekend how long ago was that it was definitely somewhere between i would say maybe uh, two years after I got the check. So it was probably halfway between uh, getting that check and actually joining Toastmasters. Got it. So maybe six or so years. Okay. So the point that I'm trying to make is it's been a long time. You know, people can really underestimate how challenging it can be and how much work it actually is and how you have to practice at this kind of thing so much and and doesn't happen overnight. But, you know, there's a lot of work to be put into it. But I wanted to return to some of the things that you might have said to yourself. So on each show, I talk about how self-talk has changed over time. Because as someone, your perfect story for this, as someone moves through something that has been really challenging for them, and it's a part of themselves that they really want to work on, their self-talk changes. And so it's really 
helpful for listeners to hear how. Like, what were some of the things that you used to say to yourself? For example, if you needed to avoid a group or you needed to be in a group and say something, you know, these are often subconscious things, but there were certainly, you know, you you must have been telling your brain something at the time that didn't allow you to feel successful in those moments. And then it changed to where you are today. So can we go back and try to think about some of the ways that you were interacting with yourself and your self-talk back then? One example that came to mind just then was I had a car dealership that got, got some media attention. So ABC Action News wanted to put it to a piece on us. Uh, and I actually got a friend to be the face of the business for the, the news interview just because I didn't want to do it. But it wasn't necessarily just because like, I didn't want my face on there. I mean, I, just, I didn't want to do it, but I also didn't think it mattered or didn't care that I should do it. So I was like, I was get a friend to do it. I was very intentionally behind the scenes for a lot of, a lot of stuff. And that's like one example of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what kinds of things made you... It, we'll put Toastmasters aside for a second because um, probably it has some influence, but, uh, or, and your wife, um, but internally, you know, just you, Jeremy, thinking, I think this matters. <laughs> um, you, you'd mentioned like, okay, so starting businesses and being an entrepreneur is sort of part of the equation, but I should at least be able to pitch my ideas or what have you. But you could have stayed within that bubble, I think, and probably been an entrepreneur, a successful entrepreneur, and not had to shout to the world or be someone who worked on this. It, was there anything else that made you, like you said, sort of cross, well, not cross the line, but you yeah. know, step up to the plate to be like, I, I need to care about this? Yeah. Um, so one example is uh, brands. So like I, I started, built and sold a business, built a brand around it. You know, you have social followers that you created. And when you sell that business, you, you start back at square zero. So I've got a business now that I've grown from zero to over 200,000 social followers. And again, I'm in a situation where, you know, once I sell that business, I'll be back at ground zero from a brand standpoint. So I started looking at this, the future of the cycle that I'm putting myself in of like, starting building, selling, starting building, selling businesses and, uh, nothing sort of sticks or lasts through the whole journey. And so that, that was one thing. Uh, the other was the realizing the value of the hidden wisdom and knowledge. And then the other is I had a business that I was talking with one of my business partners with that sort of required a face and my business partners in a similar boat. And so we just sort of, I, I had already been doing Toastmasters for a little while and I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'll do it. You know, like you know, I was a little bit more towards it than he was. So like, I was okay, well, I'll keep pushing myself so that I could be in a position where I can be comfortable in c- c- scenarios like that in the future. So sort of a combination of those things, I think is what pushed me over. So this hidden, hidden wisdom, I'm, I'm super interested in this. How did you discover that, you know, first of all, you had hidden wisdom and then what it was and then that you might need to share it or impart it to other people? Yeah, so that that came more from joining mastermind groups. So at the same time I joined Toastmasters, I joined mastermind groups. And what mastermind groups are, I mean, there's ones that cost a lot of money. There's ones that's free. I'm part of a couple of free ones. 
but it's like a group of entrepreneurs or people that get together. Uh, generally, they, they say, okay, well, what's your wins? Everyone shares their wins. What are you struggling with? People can help each other with ideas. And it's just sort of like a group to help bounce other ideas off of and get ideas from other people. And after going to those for a while, you know, I saw myself just like giving really good feedback and like really helping people and like people come up and like, like deeply thank me for the feedback that I gave them and said like how big of an impact it was, even if it was just something I would consider a small share. So like, I guess that helped me realize that I had this hidden wisdom inside me because if it was so obvious, other people would have it too. So I think that that helped is just me giving advice and helping other people sort of helped extract that. Wow. Okay. So, so you realize you're having this impact on things that you think are at least come really naturally to you. And that's maybe why you consider them a smaller share or help that you gave someone. And at the moment when you realize like that you want to amplify this, this hidden wisdom, did you kind of feel like you kept getting the memo (laughs) that you were going to have to be more public or you were going to have to be kind of a bigger voice in order to, to amplify that wisdom and, and what you share? Yeah. And I think that that helps you make a bigger positive impact too. So I think that I slowly grew, grew into that. Yeah. So, okay. So the hidden wisdom, you find that you have this, um, you you know, you're making big impact. How does that relate to decisions that you made to, to help yourself keep overcoming, you know, what was sort of some of the next steps that you took to overcome? You're in the mastermind groups now to um, keep working on and and strengthening your skills around um, facilitating and being more comfortable in groups and among bigger, bigger crowds of people. Yeah, good question. So going back to what I mentioned earlier, is like I like operating right below the limit of my comfort zone. So like as I'm going to Toastmasters, as I'm going to these mastermind groups, I'm now speaking in front of small groups and sharing in front of a group and getting more comfortable with those scenarios. So the the more I get comfortable, the more I need like that next thing that sort of pushes me again to be back to that limit of right below the comfort zone. So I mean, I guess that's how I sort of decided to go into starting a podcast, which I guess we can start talking about now. Yeah. So I... I was like, okay, well, I could create a podcast around entrepreneurship because that's what I've got experience with. Or I could create a podcast that will help me keep like growing in this direction and keep uh, pushing myself. And and the way I saw that was by interviewing influencers and people that are authentically and vulnerably sharing themselves. That way I can deep dive into their stories and surround myself by people like that. And when I was reflecting a lot on starting my podcast, I, I realized that when I'm in a room of people, you know, like I, I'm definitely gravitated more towards people who are authentic and vulnerable than, let's say, like successful entrepreneurs. So I decided to go that route because it just felt better, felt more aligned. Uh, and so now uh, I've done over 60 interviews with like f- some pretty large influencers. I've had a lot of YouTubers with over a million subscribers. I've had Instagrammers with over a million followers. Same with Facebook, over a million followers podcasters, uh, big public speakers, event MCs, you know, a ton of people who are authentically vulnerably sharing themselves, uh, Twitch streamers. And so I'm like, you know, pushing myself constantly. When I started the podcast, 
I was extremely uncomfortable. Uh, you know, I'm like interviewing people who are like way above me and like in the comfort of that. Okay. So yes, th- this is, this is amazing. So I can definitely see how it's playing out that you like to be just under the radar of an edge there of like what you can handle. Right. Cause this seems like just like you said, the topic could have been how to be a good entrepreneur, how to buy brand and sell businesses. You know, like that's what you know. That's what's super comfortable. But no, <laughs> you chose two kind of meta contexts, I guess I'll call them. So one is podcasting, the forum itself. So like there's no, um, we don't really know what the reach of podcasting is, which in my opinion is is one of the big attractions to me. It's like, you know, you can somewhat measure it with followers or subscribers or various other metrics. But for the most part, we really don't know what ears we fall upon. <laughs> and um, so that takes a lot of courage right there just to use this particular uh, medium. But secondly, you went for, in the in the meta context, again, influencers. So these are people who already are, like you said, kind of punching above you and um, getting them to be vulnerable. And I'm wondering, let's start with this one first, the influencers, why them? Was it because of their own following or was it because you wanted to learn from them how they approach a conversation or some of the things that you were working on? Yeah, that's a good question. So I'm literally asking influencers why they're sharing. Like that's what my podcast is about. And so like, why did you start sharing? Why are you still sharing? You know, like, how did you overcome the barriers to start? Uh, Like, how did you grow into the person you are today, capable of sharing in such big ways? Like, it's all geared around why with some how components. Yeah, it's 100% sort of self-development was the number one focus for the podcast as for the reason to do that topic. And I also always questioned it. Like, I never shared that much or, or online, like when when I started my podcast, the last share that I did online was seven months prior and it was a Facebook post and it had one comment from a friend that said, <laughs> dang, this guy's still on Facebook. <laughs> so like, you know, I'm coming from someone who literally never shared to boom, this random guy has a podcast. Yeah, I, it's, it's pretty incredible. It, so with podcasting, do you, st- the question I wanted to ask around the medium is, does that fear carry over? I know you said you were really nervous about interviewing these particular people because they were big influencers and they had all this notoriety or, you know, following and whatever. But I'm curious about the actual communication skills, like, you know, coming from you being this person who didn't share, didn't really care or know why it was important to do so and had some physical stuff going on around, um, you know, the anxiety that comes with it. Did that transfer into podcasting? Because, you know, we are like right now we're talking um, and we've, we've intentionally taken off our video, right? So that we can kind of take that context out or take that channel of seeing each other out so we can um, think more, a, a little bit more easily. We've stripped some channels away, but though we're communicating outward to countless people, does it feel the same? Is it like the same sort of feeling that you get as getting in front of 25 plus or thousands of people to you? Is it the same kind of result in your body? Uh, it was definitely 
much more vulnerable feeling. Like it was definitely another level up. Like when I started my podcast, it was an audio only podcast. I gave myself permission in the first three episodes that I could literally re-record myself every time I spoke. And because I was so new at interviewing, all I literally did was ask a question, let the person answer, ask the next question, let the person answer. So in post-editing, I didn't speak that much. So I just literally re-asked that question later more confidently and concisely and inserted it in for the first three episodes. Oh, that's I was so, so cool. So I was so uncomfortable with it. But it also helped me learn, like, hey, maybe this is how I would like to come across as how to ask this question. So it ended up being like a good learning experience to do that. But it was a lot of work. I don't really suggest it. I, <laughs> no. I'm glad I only gave myself permission to do it three times. And then after that, like I had to just sort of live with it. And and then even then, I didn't even use a picture of me for the podcast. I had I hired an artist to draw draw a picture of me. So it was like an audio-only podcast. I re-recorded myself and I had a drawing of me as the artwork for the podcast. So like I was very uncomfortable when I first started the podcast. And then just constantly, you know, pushed myself. Like everyone I interviewed, I'd ask for feedback. I would ask people around me for feedback. I would criticize myself and keep thinking of how I could do better. Yeah, I started going deeper when I asked questions. And then I stopped having a list of questions and just had points that I want to drill into. I'd say every 10 episodes for a while, like every 10, like a drastic change would happen with how I, how the podcast was formatted, how I asked questions. And then uh, I even had a friend challenge me. He's like, well, after you do the 30, you got to do a live stream video uh, where you update us on how the journey is going. So now it's like, okay, well, I've done 30 episodes and then now I've got to do a live stream where I have a friend interview me on how the podcast is going on video without having post-editing. Uh, so I was constantly pushing myself. And then after that, every interview that I do is a video live streamed interview with no post-editing. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you are definitely a risk taker. right? Like, I mean, you just leap, you don't run towards something you run and, and jump completely off. I mean, it's funny that you describe that you have this edge, but I don't see much of an edge. (laughs) You're, you're like going right over. (laughs) Like when I started the podcast, I was super nervous. I mean, I never shared online. Like I, like, and especially with my community, my family, friends, like, like I didn't even do text posts. And so like, I was very nervous. So like to be able to, to jump into doing like a live stream right off the bat, like it was definitely way above my comfort zone, but doing an audio only and sort that's sort, still sort of easing your way into it in a way, just aggressively. Uh, <laughs> and then I, you know, got to live streaming. So even today I'm doing more to like, keep, I'm still in positions where I'm uncomfortable. So what do you get from, if, if we think about all of like using all of your senses to answer this question, what do you get from these progressions, these massive learning curves that you put yourself on? You know, you impose these for yourself so that you can grow. And what do you get when you climb, you know, one of these mountains each time? I'm just curious to know, using, you know, calling upon your senses, like what what do you feel? How does it change how you act? How does it change how you show up in the world when you make these kinds of incredible strides in learning and growing as a person? Yeah. Um, 
I still don't know if I have all the answers for, for that, but uh, I definitely feel like, you know, a conversation like this, like I would never be diving this deep, even if it was completely anonymous, most likely before all this journey. So it's definitely helped me become more willing to be vulnerable, more willing to be authentic, you know, just showing up more as myself as opposed to like molding more to, to the situations. I'm still not like, I'm still an introverted communicator. Like I'm not one to like overpower a conversation, um, but I'm definitely more willing to speak up or in, in moments where there's the gap or, or maybe like, you know, especially in facilitated situations, like, you know, if I'm interviewing a guest that is a really aggressive speaker, like I've had situations where I've had to like learn how to manage that. And I'm sure you have too. Mm-hmm. So I think just, you know, authenticity, vulnerability, speaking capability. I feel pretty comfortable talking to, you know, pretty much anyone. Like it's, it's hard to, for me to talk to someone that I feel like intimidated by. And I think I attribute it to all these conversations that I'm, that I've been having. So what's the next level of that? So what's the next level of Jeremy, who is the person who really can face a conversation with most anyone and not be intimidated? What does it do for you and how does it make you feel? Um, well, I'd say there's, I'm still pretty uncomfortable speaking on stages. I've, I've had a couple opportunities to speak like on actual stages. I spoke at a podcast conference to a couple hundred people and that was my first like real talk. So that was, I remember getting off the stage and like my hands were shaking. I texted my wife and I, I couldn't even read what I texted. Like it was just <laughs> gibberish because I was so nervous, but I pushed through it. And then I even had someone later in the conferences the next day come up to me and say like, Hey, like after seeing you speak, you know, I'm super nervous myself, but I've committed to uh, applying to speak next year because after seeing you, you talk. So like, mm. it's pretty cool to hear some of those unintended consequences. And then like, so that's still something I'm working on based on opportunities, but obviously right now with COVID, it's a uh, little sparse yeah. and I've been uh, working on building communities. I've been doing a weekly uh, Zoom meetup every Thursday uh, for the past five to six months. It's like an influencer meetup. So uh, people that are influencers or people that are aspiring influencers, it's like a, a weekly meetup. We have networking and uh, I bring in guest speakers. So uh, that's a whole nother challenge is like facilitating a group of people. Like lately it's been consistently having around 30 people show up every week. And that, you know, is a lot to, you know, I still get nervous before hosting those events. You're doing that yourself, the facilitation? Yeah. And no help with 30 people? Yeah, I figured out I could have two laptops open, one <laughs> logged in as the host, the other one logged in as me, and I don't know, figuring it out as I go, I guess. There you go. Well, I can tell you as someone who's spent many, many years as a researcher and a moderator and facilitator that anybody who's doing 30 people by themselves, that that is a really tough show to run. <laughs> So, so once again, you, you know, in my mind, you've, you've leapt far over the edge and you've, uh, if you can master that, um, you're going to be doing pretty good because the optimal group size that like one person can handle effectively in the dog and pony shows is about five to seven. So (laughs) there you go. Um, thanks. Yeah. And if you imagine yourself when the podcast first started and you're doing those re-recordings, so you're, you're right now you're editing and you're listening 
to the way that you asked the question in that sort of like toggling sequential way that you described, right? Question, answer, QA, back forth, turn-taking, not conversational, and you didn't want to show up that way. What is something that you said to or about yourself in the moment, whether that's in your head or out loud? I mean, I would just tell myself, I just got to get through asking this question. And even that, I sometimes struggled. I'm like, all I have to do is literally read this question and like I would be stumbling or fumbling through it and stuff. So uh, I I would just, I was just constantly like, okay, let me get, let me like get over with this as as fast as possible. And it's usually tied to to the question so that I can be like, okay, I'm free. Like the person's talking and then build build up to the next one. When you were doing that, when you were in the post-production and you're, you're fixing these things, like when you said to yourself, I don't want the question asked this way, so I'm going to re-record it. What did you encode into your brain right before you made the decision, this question needs to be re-recorded? Um, I, I knew going into it that I was probably going to be stumbling through it and stuff. So I, and I, I know that I'm sort of a perfectionist at times. So I, I intentionally was like, okay, I, the first three episodes, like, I'll let myself re-record myself. And I just gave myself that permission so I didn't have to feel bad about it. And uh, so I think that's that helped tremendously with just getting started. Otherwise, I would have been like, I don't know if I would have started uh, potentially at all, but also at least as early as I did if I didn't give myself permission to do that. Was that something that somebody told you to do or or gave you that as a tactic? Or did you know somehow instinctively that idea of permission? Because it's kind of major uh, self-awareness feat to have there to, to say, like, I need to give myself permission to create something that's imperfect. Yeah, I've actually had that a couple times, I guess, in my career. Like, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I always wanted to be a CFO first because I felt like knowing the financials of a company is, you know, important to being a good entrepreneur. So I was laser focused on being a CFO. I was able to become a CFO at, when I was 25 years old. So I achieved that at a pretty young age. And then after that, I gave myself permission to be an entrepreneur. And prior to that, I had so many side hustles and little businesses that could have turned into like big businesses if I took it seriously. But I always held myself back because I was like, I haven't reached this milestone that's sort of blocking me. So that was the first time I sort of realized giving myself permission uh, like helped me like unleash the next step. And then after that, I started a business and then sold it after two years. So like I was, you know, entered the entrepreneur world. And then the podcast was like giving myself permission to have a voice. Uh, and I'm still not necessarily sharing too much of like, I guess, my experience f- from a voice standpoint, like sharing with you here is like sharing my voice from a sharing standpoint, which is probably more than I do on my podcast because on my podcast, I'm usually you know, talking to uh, guests. And then every once in a while, I have someone interview me to do an update so that I can share. Uh, but, you know, it's just a journey. But yeah, uh, giving myself permission is something that, or just giving yourself permission is something that I talk a lot about on my podcast too, because I think it's so important. Mm-hmm. I think that's something many people actually never learn, sadly, their whole life is to, and in fact, I'm looking at uh, above my, 
I guess we could call it a vision board just because everyone will know what that is. <laughs> it does, it's not necessarily that it means something much more to me, but you know, for all intents and purposes to paint the picture, that's what it is. Uh, one of the things that I've learned over the past uh, year, I think is so above, above the vision board, I have one, two, three, I have six now um, small post-its. And every time I learn something big, like an aha kind of, thing, um, that I consider that's going to be a mantra is I, I put up on these post-it notes and one of them, actually a couple of them have to do with what, gosh, I'm looking at, and a lot of them have to do with what you're saying. I'm going to put on my glasses. Um, <laughs> so one of them, the, the main one that I was thinking about is, um, to intend imperfect. And I have imperfect, like I am underlined imperfect. So if I set out to make something that's imperfect, I can't really fail because that was my intention. So I I also work on perfectionism. And so that was one of the ones that was really, really freeing for me and also reminds me of this notion of permission. Like I'm giving myself permission to be imperfect. And in fact, I'm going to intend and set out to be imperfect. And then it can only go up from there. Um, yeah, I like that. And uh, something that comes up to mind is uh, I had a guest, Elaine Fluker, she shared that, uh, you know, people don't want perfect, they want authentic. Exactly. And it's it's very true. Exactly. What kinds of things would you advise p- other people who who feel this way, whether it's about public speaking or just in general? I, I just keep coming back to this idea that you talked about, you mentioned it two or three times, like not only was I nervous about public speaking or facilitating or getting in front of big crowds or having this communication skill, but I didn't know I should care about it. And there's a two part to this advice question. Why should other people care about it? So somebody who's not necessarily wanting to be an entrepreneur or they don't have the edges that you have, or maybe even the drive to tackle things that you have, but they know that they have work to do. What would you advise them in terms of like, how do you, how do you care enough about something to go to the lengths of changing it, making real change? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, first of all, I think that the only way you'll find out is by start sharing uh, in some capacity. And as you share, uh, you'll start seeing what resonates with people. And if you find that this is, this was not my words, it's from a guest of mine, Devon Brown. Uh, he said that if, uh, if you find a message that resonates with people that makes a big positive impact on them, such as the hidden wisdom I was talking about earlier uh, with like the small gives from me, but it's also a big receive for someone else, then uh, you're sort of ripping people off by not going as big as possible with sharing that because there's other people out there that need to hear that message. And if you're not sharing it big enough, then that person's not going to hear it. So uh, what he was saying is just stop ripping people off and, and go bigger. Interesting. So he almost makes it about others, not about you. Yeah. And I think that that sort of needs to be true because in order, like doing this stuff is not easy. That's when you have to have a powerful enough why uh, that will allow you to push through those hard times. And and, and that's where you got to find what works for you, like what, what your why is. And a lot of times uh, it is about giving. I think your story is, important to so many people. And again, it doesn't have to do with 
yes, public speaking is still, um, by the way, my background's all in communication. So <laughs> I used to teach public speaking and that, I think the first day of, of class was the cliche line I would always give that, you know, ask people, you know, what's your biggest fear and say dying and say, what's your second biggest fear? And it would always be public speaking. So that's like a real thing still is around, but I don't think anybody needs to have the same fear that you have at all to understand this concept that you're talking about um, with, you know, finding your hidden wisdom or the, the gift that you might think is so small, but has such a big impact on other people and then doing everything you can to amplify your voice around it. And in your case, I just think it's such a such an eloquent example because the amplification is literal. Like you, you, your sort of Achilles heel was your voice. And now you have to amplify it and you're you're taking all of those chances to do that. And I just think it's really admirable. And I, I think so many people will be inspired by by what you have to say. Thanks. Is there anything else that you want others to take away from your story? Uh, messages that you have for people, um, particularly if there's anything around the male perspective that you want to share? Sure. So like if, if you want to start having more impact or, or more of a voice or, or maybe even want to discover if you even have a reason to do that, the only way you're going to find out is by starting. Like start you know, sharing more when you talk to somebody by like, giving them more value. Like don't hold back your value so much. Like if, if you can help someone just, you know, don't think like, Oh, well, you know, I need to get paid for my time. Just, you know, you got 10 minutes with someone, just give them everything you got for 10 minutes and see how you feel after and just like explore yourself. And if, if you do find something that resonates, then, you know, like obviously there's a lot of ways to go bigger with it. You know, people are like, well, I can't start a YouTube channel cause I don't have the right camera or I can't start a podcast cause I don't have the right mic. You know, there's always excuses that make it so it's not perfect. The more you share, I think the more you'll realize uh, that it matters to share. And then if you want to go bigger with it, then it's all about, okay, pick the platform that you want to use and then drill into your why, discover why you want to do it and just you know, take the shortest path to starting you know, that you're able to be comfortable with and then just grow as you go. Yeah. And just not, like we both said before, please don't try to be perfect. Just don't wait until you think you have something that can be put out there. That's in air quotes, perfect. Cause one, it's not going to be, <laughs> and you're going to wait a long time. If, <laughs> if that's what your goal is. Yeah. Perfection. Yeah. One last question. So do you have any tools or resources? I mean, definitely um, I'm going to put a link to, so people can understand and check out Toastmasters. Anything for you that's uh, been helpful? So books, specific people, um, things that you've seen, done, read, uh, you know, anything big or small, you know, mindfulness, what other practices, anything that helps you because you really do show up big, like you show up in a giant way. And I think, you know, people who are just starting they need somewhere to start, whether they, you know, even to find that hidden wisdom, like they might not even be there yet. They might still be searching for what is the thing that I should amplify. They don't even know that yet. So um, anything within your journey that you could share that has helped you to get to this sort of leaping mindset that you have now? Yeah. Um, 
I mean, everybody learns in different ways. And uh, like, I don't really read a lot of books. I, like I don't do a lot of courses or any of that stuff, but I just sort of usually learn by doing. And like, I chose where I wanted to grow intentionally. And I was very uh, focused on that. And then I sort of created an environment where, you know, no matter what, I had to grow. Like if I have a podcast, I'm interviewing someone, I have to get better at asking questions. If I'm talking to other influencers who are comfortable sharing on video or live streaming, like, I, like I'll be surrounded by a community of people who, you know, are comfortable like that. So some of that has to rub off on you. So for me, like it's less about a specific tool, I think, but more about like take control of the environment that you're in. And if there's something that you want to grow or, or get better at, surround yourself by the people who are the best at it. And, and then just like keep trying to grow at it. You know, if you've got a good enough cause and, you, and your reason behind it is, is strong enough, uh, just staying consistent and sharing it, people will come. Like for my meetup that I've been doing, it's a virtual influencer meetup. And like, I mean, I remember when one person would show up like, or just, there's even one week where nobody showed up. Like I just was like, okay, I'll close it, you know? And so like, Right now, it's to the point where, like, okay, I know people are going to be there. Like, I don't question that anymore. But when I was starting out, like, I had to be willing to keep showing up when no one else was willing to show up until I could find people that wanted to come that saw that that was important. So all it takes is, like, showing up consistently for something, you know, that, you're, that you care about. Intention and consistency. Such a good recipe. I mean, it sounds so simple, but it's not. Like, when you're actually in the slog of doing it. It's not simple at all, but, um, but the concepts are simple. So I, I, I whole, wholly agree with that. Thank you. I, I think this is a good place to end. I, I really am grateful for the time that you spent. And I think, again, this is going to, this is going to ripple out to lots of people. So thanks for sharing. Cool. Yeah, of course. I'm happy to help. I hope uh, you get value from this. Definitely will. Thanks, Jeremy. Yeah, thanks, Julie. So I'd like to talk about three big takeaways from meeting Jeremy. First, I got to ask myself, is there a word for people who seek out uncomfortable edges like he does? I mean, I know plenty of type A's who do this in other realms, like a sport or their work, but in personal growth, I don't see it with this type of laser focus. I, I see people kind of grasping at all sorts of personal growth straws to figure out what works, but nothing like what Jeremy does. It's like he identifies and becomes aware of the things that are getting in the way, and then he puts himself square into that space and works at it as long as he cares about it and sees that it's having an impact. And one of the reasons that he sticks to self-work with this kind of glue is because it all supports his hidden wisdom. And in his case, that's his ability to help people in his soft-spoken, quick, and effective way. Another reason he's able to keep working on himself sometimes over many years, this isn't you know overnight stuff by any means, is because of something he gives to himself when it comes time to tackle another edge. And that's permission to let go of perfectionism. So let's go to point number two. When he described the recording of his first three podcast episodes, man, it was like being in the room with him, sitting down at the mic, knowing that whatever happened in that interview, 
he has the permission to re-record it. And in listening to the way that he asked questions, he decided how he wanted to sound, and he re-recorded the question in a confident manner when he was alone and the guest was long gone. I thought that was genius. Then he did a third thing. He set a boundary around that permission. So first three episodes only. And he knew this pattern worked because he used it in Toastmasters to get from a fully written speech to note cards to three ideas in his head. So after that permission period ended, he worked consistently to get from a sequential kind of clunky question-answer format with guests to a more conversational style and a few bulleted questions, then all the way to live video with no going back, no opportunity to edit a thing. As he put it, I know I'm a perfectionist, so I'm giving myself permission to redo the first three episodes so I don't have to feel bad about it. Those are the golden words. Aim for imperfection, set a goal to improve, and be sure your self-talk is where it belongs, about skill acquisition and learning, not about you as someone who'd never have a podcast. Huge, huge difference there. And I'll highlight the quote he shared from one of his guests. People don't want perfection. They want authentic. Why? Why do we think that is? Because perfect puts us into comparison right away, thinking, why can't I be flawless? Why can't I do this? Why can't I fill in the blank? Even when we know it's polished, edited, airbrushed, scrubbed, posed, whatever it is, perfect is void of learning. No one actually wants to live in a perfect world because one, it doesn't exist and it can never, by design, it can never help us grow. With his re-recordings, Jeremy wasn't going for perfection. He was giving himself the necessary wiggle room to start and keep going when he knew it was going to be uncomfortable. And again, there's a huge difference and I know we can all relate to that. You've got to have, if you look at your own life, you've got to have areas where You could put some permissions in place. You could show yourself some empathy while you're on a steep learning curve. I mean, I know I have tons of these areas, like a long list, and it takes work. But first, we have to get to the point of recognizing what are those areas and then developing the permissions to put in place. It's really tactical and sounds simple, but is not unless you develop a practice around it like Jeremy has. And finally, point number three. So I promised I'd help you at the beginning of the show, find your hidden wisdom. Well, Jeremy did that. He he laid it all out. So you might be thinking, yeah, 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 this is all great for him. He's obviously a total badass, which I fully agree with, who has no fear. Yet we heard that that's not true. He has all the fears. He just found a way to discover his hidden wisdom. And that's what assured him that his time and effort is valuable enough to keep going. So if you're wondering if you have a similar talent, I will tell you, I do not need to ever meet you. The answer is always, without a shred of a doubt, yes and several. So even if you're one of these people who feel like, oh, that's your disposition is to be an introvert, you can still, like Jeremy, find a way to share your wisdom. And personal soapbox for 60 seconds. No one is an introvert all the time. Personality traits are situational. You can be introverted at school and gregarious with your family. You can be uh, a confident entrepreneur and someone who'd rather have a drawing of their face than a photo for the new podcast that he started, like Jeremy. 
You can be an introvert and an extrovert in the same hour. So please, please don't buy into packaged or permanent personality traits. They're simply untrue. Okay. So Jeremy says, step one is to stop isolating and start sharing. That's how you find what it is about you that resonates with someone. That's how you discover your hidden wisdom. So you can see it and hear it and feel it in someone's reaction to you. So often we have some talent that we have no idea matters, mostly because to us it's natural. So it's ingrained in how we are. We do it every day. We we live it every day. So we don't notice it. And it's why it's so hard when someone asks you something like, what's your signature strength? They, For me, it's like they might as well have asked me what I had for breakfast March 5th, 2005. It's like, oh, I have no idea. But one reliable way to find out is to ask others for evidence. It's a hundred times easier for someone else to tell us how we show up best in the world than us because we're often our own worst critic. We all know that. So if you're wondering how or where to look for your hidden wisdom, start with those who you know best. Then you can test it out and see how people react when you apply it. If it makes you and them feel good, keep doing it. And as he said, before you know it, it'll organically grow. I've experienced this firsthand and I know it works. It's absolutely true. So if it helps, you could think of it as a social experiment. Get really good at noticing what you say or how being around you makes other people feel. And when you hit on some good vibes, that's your hidden wisdom at work. So the moral of today's story, my friends, is that we don't rip people off of our hidden wisdom. Other people need to hear it. They need to experience it. What's small and easy for you can actually be life-changing for someone else. Hey, one more thing before you go. If you or someone you know is ready to let go of something, let's make it happen. Set up an introductory call with me at inkind.buzzsprout, that's B-U-Z-Z sprout.com. To listen, just search for InKind on your favorite podcast player.